Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've watched a movie on movie. Yes. Agnes Varda, who I've only seen one film by before. I'm a huge admirer. I know you love her. And uh, obviously she's a key figure in the French New Wave. Yes, she was the only woman, really. Yeah, and uh, Celia, who, who's been on the podcast before and we've spoken about a lot, friend of ours, I think really identifies with Agnes Varda because Celia did a Masters of Warwick in film and I think she really identifies with being the one woman who's surrounded by guys who are all showing off about the films they know. And, uh-huh. you know, um, and she's sort of a little bit resistant to that. And Agnes Varda, I think this came up on Facebook recently, Agnes Varda supposedly had only seen one movie or 20 movies or something. I don't believe that. Yeah, people were saying, and Celia, in fact, was saying she didn't really believe that. And it was more a kind of saying, well, that's what all these guys are like. I'm just going to not make it a key thing about me that my thing is that I, you know, I'm a nerd about these movies. Uh, I mean, she made a film independently in her 20s. Yeah. Right. You have to be into film. So you have to be into film to make a film, yeah, in your 20s. I mean, admittedly, she'd been a photographer beforehand and a very famous photographer. Mm. Uh, she worked with that big agency. Um, but nonetheless, you don't make a film, yeah, unless yeah. you're interested in cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the film we've seen today is a 1976 documentary called uh, Daguerreotype. Yes. In English, we would say Daguerreotypes. Uh-huh. The film is set on the street where Agnes Varda lived. Yes. She made this film there because she was looking after a two-year-old son. She couldn't really go very far because of him. So she made a documentary about the people on her street, the shops they ran, who they were. That yes. Kind of Life on the street. It's a kind of relaxed anthropological study. It reminded me, actually, of Etre Evoir, which was, what, 2002? Uh-huh. You know, the kind of, that, that, like I say, that relaxed feeling of just watching these people go about their day. Yeah, it's a film about her neighbours. And it's deceptive, because actually, in one of her later documentaries, she talks about how they had a generator in her house, but they basically had to plug in all the cords for the cameras and the sound and everything mm. from her house. Yeah, and they could only go as far as, yeah. Yeah, I think roll. I read 90 metres. Yeah, as the, the roll of wire. <laughs> so the whole film takes place within a 90 metre radius of, of her, house. her house. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, you know, so I think at this point, I am, um, I don't know, maybe critically unreliable in relation to, uh, uh, or, or not objective in relation to Agnes Varda, because... You know, to watch one of these documentaries is just like to be in her company in a way, mm. right? And to kind of, you know, bask in her sensibility and, and her kindness and her gentleness and her, her ability to get people to talk about themselves and her respect for ordinary people, you know? Um, mm. And I just, I just like it, right? So it's almost like she could be doing any subject and I would be interested. Mm. Um, and she gives all of them form, really. You know, so here a magic act in the neighborhood becomes, you know, what brings all of these different characters in the neighborhood together. Yeah, they go watch the show, but actually through the magician's performance, yeah, you reconnect to all of these shopkeepers, yeah. Yeah, and through um, some sort of match cuts as well, effectively. Mm. You know, it's sometimes with dialogue and sometimes with image, um, you've got the uh, magician saying, you know, just tilt your head back, tilt your head back, and you see the guy tilting his head back, and that's the hairdresser, and then you yeah. cut to 
him in his barbershop tilting someone's head back and it's the way to link that to that and you know the thing about folding the um the trick head thing so he he's got a box on someone's head that he's put all these knives into and obviously they're not injured but mm. he folds these flaps out so you can see that there's no head in there and as he does all this you cut to someone folding flaps on a box that they're packing something in to give it to someone you know yeah she does that a bit. And yeah, that's kind of cute, I suppose, these little match cuts that take you from one place to the other. I did think that the magician thing was a little neat in the kind of, like, you, you see this whole portrait of this life on this street and all these people running these shops and what they're like and she, you get this portrait. It's interesting, um, the, 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 the title of the film is this pun. So daguerreotypes are, they were the first publicly available form of photography. Yes. In the 1840s. And they were only around for about 20 years before kind of better processes came along. But you would see with them, like, a lot of portraiture or kind of images taken of streets, buildings, things like that. And you get that sense here, right? Yes. Um, so the, the, and the reason it's a pun is that the road is Rue Daguerre. Mm. And in fact, it is named after Louis Daguerre, who is yes. the creator of the... So these are types on Daguerre Street, or Daguerre Street types. Yeah, yeah as well as daguerreotypes. Mm. Um and you do get this really kind of rich, lovely portrait of what they're like, and she and she asks them questions at certain times as well. So it's not just observation, but it's also direct address, and they address the camera. And she's asking things like, "Where'd you come from? Uh, how did you get here?" And the and the answers are interesting. Right? The answers are they don't well, they certainly don't all come from Paris. Actually, that's one of the most fascinating things about the film. Yeah. That in nineteen seventy five, most of these people came from other parts of France. But you could already see, yeah, the beginnings of an external migration into Paris because, you know, some of the most recent people who have moved uh, uh, to the Guerre Street have moved in from Africa. Yeah, yeah, Algeria and also I think Eastern Europe as well. Ah, yes. Um, uh, but yeah, a lot of them are from uh, just the countryside. And, yeah. and all these people who have migrated moved to Paris. And you kind of think, well, it's in search of... What and maybe it's purpose. Maybe, oh, well, certainly it's money. money. Part of it, you know, they, they, there's opportunity in the city, and there's an interesting. It's almost like a tragic thing. I feel where you've moved for the opportunity, and, and there's a sense of adventure in movement, and then you kind of get stuck there. You get these people who've been there for forty years doing the same thing. Well, I'm not sure about that because you know. Um... One of the things that maybe we now see in a different way is just how hard life was in the country. Mm. So, you know, the the, butch, the butcher's wife, no, the baker's wife, talks about how, how proud she is yeah. you know, to be a baker's wife, right? Mm. So, so I think maybe to our eyes, this kind of labor, which is a labor, and, you know, this running of these little shops with all the work that that entails you know, uh, is seen as like a hard life and a repetitive life. But, you know, see it in context, yeah? Mm. I mean, these are the, the these are the petit bourgeois of the place. I mean, they're the ones who own the shops. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's not the street people or the people working in factories who, you know, don't have a shop, yeah? So, I mean, they are relative, you know, on mm. a certain scale, they're a, a little bit above, yeah. Yeah. But when you get to the end and the film wraps up, again, I think kind of quite neatly with this question that she's asked them of what do you dream about? What do you dream? She's asked them, you see the answers. And you get the what the, the driving instructor talks about, sometimes I dream that I'm really rich. Yeah. But everyone else is... Dreams I mean, about work. Yeah, they dream about work, they dream about their day, 
it's sort of quite limited and, and you get a couple which are almost disturbing in the kind of the guy sleepwalks on down three flights of stairs to the road like but this I, feeling of wanting to escape it starts off with the perfumier's wife so they're the oldest couple and they've been there since 1933 I found them so touching and she clearly is in the Process some of stages of dementia yeah. um She's she she hardly has anything to say. You know, the conversation is is directed towards him, and he runs the shop. She just kind of stands around the place and looks wistfully out the window. And then there's this thing about uh, when it comes to the evening time, she wants to leave the shop. She doesn't go anywhere. She just wants to leave. This feeling of wanting to escape, which is evoked through a couple of the other things that you then hear about people's dreams. So that's where I get this kind of tragic sense from. You know. Well, that's also where you get just a sense of life. You know, because. I mean, I could say it's the same about my life. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, most of my dreams are about work and, you know, you wake up feeling you've forgotten something or you missed something or you made a mistake somewhere or, you know, it's, a, yeah, mm. you know, I wish I could be dreaming of adventure and romance and whatever, but like, <laughs> you know, most of the time it is like their dreams. And actually, that is why I find so beautiful about, you know, Agnes mm. Varda, right? First of all, that she asks the question, yeah, or that she has the magician there, which... Some people find just a bit too precious. Well, that's where I was going earlier when I... I, I know. Yeah. That's why I'm picking up on that. Mm. Uh, and I like that about her. Yeah. It's, you know, because um, she kind of brings, you know, art and imagination and a different kind of, you know, perspective yeah, to kind of looking at it. And in that sense, I think also ennobles these people's lives, right? Because... You know, their life is not without magic and fun. I mean, the only time we see we see them laugh at all is really in that magic show. Mm. And then we see them laugh collectively as a community. So it might be junk and it might be like, you know, a precious idea or whatever. But, mm. you know, he was the visiting entertainment. She, yeah, she gets them all collectively. And that is that moment of joy, really, that mm. you see in the film. So, you know, her preciousness or her, her eccentricity, her... Her way of asking questions about art and romance and things that are people just think of oh, that's a bit silly or whatever, but actually they bring out something human, mm. yeah, that kind of acts as a glue to everything else. I think. Yeah, the baker's wife's full of laughs. She's a laugh riot. She loves it. Oh, yeah, she loves showing her gold teeth. She does. She, she has a right good laugh. But yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's a little. There's something a little subdued. I really like seeing, you know, there's a couple of people, the, um, the, the, the hairdresser has this way, he's, he's so aware of the camera, um, and obviously when he's talking to the camera, it's right there, but he has this kind of, it's a very affected pose he has, you know, trying to look sort of, I don't know if it's cool or casual he's trying to go for, but he doesn't look either, you know, because he's so noticing the camera and trying to be the right thing for it, which is quite, uh, I, I was quite affectionate towards that. You know? I was I was quite affectionate to all of them actually, and and that's an affection. That's that's Agnes Varda's great skill mm. because I think you feel affectionate towards all of them, and and she captures, you know, lovely things, almost unaware or imperceptible. So for example, I really loved the couple, the wife who has dementia and who barely speaks and who wants to escape at night. You know, the husband has like this really gentle optimistic, mm -hmm. like, smile, yeah? Like, he, he always, you know, goes to everything with a smile, yeah? Um, and there's a kind of a hopefulness about him, yeah? Mm -hmm. So you don't think, oh, your life must be so horrible and such a burden and, 
You know, because it becomes clear after a while the reason why his wife is with him all day is so he can look after her. Yeah. yeah, they obviously don't have a pension or they don't have enough to retire on. So she's got to be there even though she's an encumbrance and she makes customers uncomfortable. Right when the two women came in to buy the makeup, yeah. you know, she's touching the young girl's coat behind her back and yeah. Yeah, it was almost like a horror film yeah. at that point. It was quite creepy. So you see a lot of love is expressed through, mm. you know, through it. Yeah, I kind of, I love that, actually. And how about the um, talking head sections when they become interviewees and speak to us? It's so interesting, right? Because I was thinking from the beginning about the gender issue, right? Because usually when you see documentaries, and I'm grossly generalizing <laughs> here, right? But... Um, you know, they're always about important, significant, historic, world-shaking mm. events, right? It's hard to think about, you know, a film about a neighborhood that's done by a man. I'm sure you could find examples. But it's harder still to find a film about the neighborhood that just features your local shops. Yeah, your local shopkeepers, really. Mm. You know, uh, and in which, I don't know if you noticed, but the women always work in the shop. So the wife is always working in the shop with the husband, mm. right? If he's doing the butchering, she's taking the cash. Yeah, it's yeah. always like a, a couple. The only exception is the perfumia, really, because she can't really... But she's there. But she's there. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first thing that caught my eye. And then there's also the question she asked, which again, you know... It's impossible to generalize about these things, but my intuition is that, you know, only Agnes Varda asks these questions. You can imagine another documentary in which the first question would be, when did you set up business? When did you come to the street? Mm. Yeah. Whereas this one is, first, where are you from? And then, when, you know, how did you meet? Yeah. yeah. When did you fall in love? Yeah, it's hard for me to think of a male documentarian who begins to ask a question on a neighborhood about when did you fall in love? Yeah, you know, because the film is not about couples. It's yeah. I mean, it ends up being, in a way, about the couples. As the, you know, the couples are the shops. The shops are the street. So mm. you can see how all of those things come together. But there's a there's a different accent in the questions. Yeah, the questions are skewed in a different way that reveal something else. And I think, again, you know, Agnes Varda does it. You rarely see it in other documentaries by other people. Mm. And yeah. sorry, this thing about the portraits, I love them, right? Even to the end of the credits where each of them is posed against a shop. Mm, in yeah. silence. In silence. And she lets the film run almost a bit too long. Mm. You really get to look at them. So the pictures are posed, yeah, as, as for a picture rather than a film. Mm -hmm. They're posed... You can see that, you know, she's she's got them carrying, yeah, elements that connect to their trade or something, mm. right? They're posed, they're beautifully composed, and then they're brought to life by by time and length. Yeah, by the cinematic something that's cinematic and not just photographic, you know. Mm. So I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And the film also has that thing that we often talk about when we speak about foreign cinema, which is learning about another place learning about another place and another time and it really is a portrait that encapsulates something very specific about maybe not all of Paris maybe not all of France this bit of Paris in this bit of France at this time this is her street this is what it was like and just the way that people live I mean you made a comment that um, uh, the one guy buys something in pounds 
yes. as opposed to kilos, which That's you right. would expect. Because France was like the real, uh, really drove the metric system in I think the eighteen hundreds. I loved all of that because you know I was thirteen years old in nineteen seventy five, so and obviously this is a completely different country and so on. But there were things that I remembered from my childhood. You know, I mean, having all your shopping put in a, in a paper bag, mm. right? Going to buy buttons. Who goes to buy buttons? Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, and those shops, yeah, the way that things were tied up in the shops. Also, the length of time it took to shop, right? Like, you go to the butcher, you have to wait in line, you know, then the butcher has to do your chops. You know, he's cutting them there on the spot. But, of course, there's a plus to that because then, you know... They arrange the shop properly to be cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Cutting all the fat in particular Proper places. Proper butcher. I love watching a butcher at work. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was wonderful to see. I, I noticed also that, because I, I keep thinking, oh, Madrid was so dirty in the 70s. And then you realize, well, Paris too. I mean, maybe that was a thing just about, <laughs> you know, new inventions of street cleaning or upkeep or, yeah. you know, new methods because the streets were dirtier. I also noticed, for example, that nobody has those brooms anymore. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're kind of uh, brooms made of uh, bushes, yeah, where you sweep the outside. And, of course, what do you do? You sweep right in front of your house or your shop, and you throw it in the gutter, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, then it's the city's business, but, the, you know, the sidewalk <laughs> is your business, right? And so everybody's seen sweeping, you know, their shop front. Uh, and it made me think that you don't see brooms like that anymore. I mean, I don't know when, <laughs> when was the last time I've seen a broom like that. Uh, when's the last time you've been on a street like that with all local shops? You know, exactly. I mean, this is the thing that occurs to me whenever, and it's true of this, and it's true of, I think about like the, um, uh, I don't know, sketches from the two Ronnies, you know, the things like that you set in these shops. And the thing that always occurs to me as someone who really didn't grow up in amongst those shops um, is how nothing is branded. You don't buy brands. You That's just fine. go, I'll oh, just have, you know, give me three buttons. Yes. Not three of these buttons or whatever, you know. Yes. You see brands, I suppose, in the cheesemonger, you know, there, there are cheeses that they've bought in from wherever, and you see a few perfumes, but actually the perfumes mostly are, I'll have, you know, rose water, or I'll have violet water, and he just gets it out, because he's been making it. Yes. Gets it out of a big jar and dispenses and it into another jar. your bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that's something that is, uh, it's actually alien to me, frankly. It's never been, ha- that's, that's not the world I grew up in. Yes. Yeah. Well, it is the world I grew up in. I mean, you know, you would go buy chickpeas or shops or rice or whatever. You didn't go buy this brand of rice or that brand of rice. You bought this type of rice or that type of rice, but it, but it wasn't branded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also what you notice is, in this, is there's no packaging. I mean, you know, there was, you know, when they go buy the bread, you, you get a little bit of wax paper to hold it. And in some instances, not even, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, and everybody brings their own shopping bags, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so it, it speaks to a lost world, and it is a document of that world. It's a very, a, a kind of a gentle and perceptive and loving document. I think what I love most about Agnes Varda's documentaries is their modesty. Their modesty, their playfulness, and the respect she shows for her subjects. She never lock, looks down or talks down or... No. You know, to the subject at all, you get the feeling that like she treats them as, her, you know, as the her equal. Yeah, it should be a fool not to. I mean, they're her neighbours. Well, I know, but you know, not everyone. Well, very few people do, in fact. Yeah, I don't even know my neighbours. <laughs> <I> say nothing. <laughs> 
But anyway, it's a beautiful film, and it's on Mubi, and it's part of a whole series of documentaries that are, in fact, very hard to find, because I went through an Agnes Varda phase about two or three years ago, where I tried to look at all her films in chronological order. Mm. And obviously, I was able to see the, the big features, Le Bonheur, Cléo de Saint-Cassette, uh, La, uh, La Pointe... La Pointe Courte. La Pointe Courte, and Vagabond. Uh, but the, the the documentaries were hard to find, yeah? Mm. Uh, and this is uh, one that I haven't seen uh, and that it was lovely to see. The only one of those I've seen before is Claire from 5 to 7, which I think you showed us at university, mm. which I loved. Mm. It's terrific. But um, no, this is only the second. Yeah. And yeah, she was working up until her death a couple of years ago. She was yes. 90. And, uh, and getting more and more renowned. Because actually, so when I was saying that her documentaries are hard to find. I mean, except the most recent ones, yeah? Mm. Uh, the Beaches of Agnes and uh, Faces Places. You know, those got a wide, very wide distribution. But these 70s ones, yeah, were yeah. very difficult to see. And wasn't she on some tour in the years just preceding her death when she was going around the world with a cat or something? There was this thing about having a cat on her shoulder. So she'd become like an increasingly recognised figure. Yes. And her importance had become increasingly recognised. Yes. So she moved from photography, became a filmmaker, she never stopped being a photographer. In fact, her film on Cuba is a film made of photographs, very beautiful. Uh, and, and latterly, she became like an artist, yeah? You know, so she did installations and things like right. that, conceptual art, and, you know, she worked with various people. So, you know, she was someone who was kind of curious and creative until, until she died. She's amazing. Yeah. And you can, you know, see why in a very modest way in this wonderful film. Yeah. So highly recommended, and uh, I'm definitely going to be looking at some of the other Varda films on, on Mubi. So, we are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>